uh, as we've seen, uh, Pastor Scott's taken us last week. Uh, we saw Matthew, excuse me, Luke 8, uh, where Jesus cast out the demon. And, and we went through that and, and seeing uh, all, all that that held for us. And, and we, we've seen this trend of Jesus uh, as he's, he's called the disciples, and now he's been encouraging them, revealing his power to them. And we know that the next chapter he's getting ready to send them out. Uh, and so this is the last in, in, in those stories that we have uh, of, of him showing his power and beginning to encourage them and to teach them before he sends them out. Before we go any further, let me just pray uh, uh, before we hit this piece and we'll go from there. Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you that we can come to you. Thank you that we can find ourselves in a place of surrender and know that there is no better place to be. There is no greater king. There is no other God. There is none stronger. There is none mightier. Holy Spirit, you are the greatest teacher. So come and bring to my mouth the words of the Father. And take them into the hearts of your people. And use them for the betterment. The relationship with you, the Father. Inside of these walls, but I would think even more importantly outside, where life happens, where ministry happens, where the commission is lived out. We give this time to you in Jesus' name. What I want to do for you this morning, uh, before, as you look at this passage as a whole, you see it's really a narrative uh, of these two miracles. Uh, that takes place in, 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 in this time with Jesus. And what I like to do when I, when I get into a narrative like this is, is I like to just read it as a whole. So that we begin to understand the big picture a little bit better. We begin to understand who are the key characters and, and what's going on and, and, and get into their shoes a little bit. To understand them a little bit better, to understand the emotions of the moment. So this is going to sound weird in church, but everybody put your Bibles away for just a moment. And I want to just read this to you in a whole. Just let you hear the whole narrative. Um, if you're good with daydreaming with your eyes open, feel free to leave them open. If you think you might go to sleep, feel free to leave them open. Otherwise, I want you to close your eyes and in your mind's eye, picture this event. Picture this narrative as it's read to you. See the people, see the characters. And then we're going to go back and we're going to talk about them. So Luke 8, starting in verse 40. Now when Jesus returned... A crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. And then a man named Jairus, a ruler of the synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house, because his only daughter, a girl of about twelve, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for twelve years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. And immediately, her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. And when they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know that power has gone out for me. And then the woman, seeing that she could no, not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. And in the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. 
And then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. And while Jesus was still speaking, someone from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler, came and said, Your daughter is dead. Don't bother the teacher any longer. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, Don't be afraid. Just believe, and she will be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She is not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But he took her by the hand and he said, My child, get up. Her spirit returned and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. The word of the Lord. Did you see it? What an incredible narrative. And the power that we see in Jesus. What I want to do now is, is, is I want to take you perhaps a little deeper into some of those characters as we draw out these lessons that we, we, I believe we can see in their lives and in their responses and how Jesus responds and ministers to them. So Jesus is coming back from, from healing the, the man with the demons. They, they said, we don't want you. Please go. Whether it was, as Pastor Scott said last week, whether it was because he just killed this large herd of pigs and they didn't want any more financial strain or it was they were afraid that this man is so powerful that he could cast the demons out of the guy that none of us could even control who broke the chains and we cast him out of the village and said, live amongst the tombs because you scare us. For whatever reason, they said, we don't want it here. Go. And so he did. And I think right there is the first thing we can kind of begin to see is that uh, as we go out ministering with the gospel, some of the things that we can understand is there are times that we find the rocky or the hard soil. As we talked about the parable of the sower earlier, that there are those who will say, we don't want it, go. It scares me, go. But then at times we find the people who are on the other side who are waiting anxiously. And we look at that crowd and we see whether it's uh, some people are just curious who is this Jesus? I've heard about him. Let me just see him. Who is this man? What's up with him? Other people who perhaps have, have seen him perform miracles or healings or experiencing him for themselves going, this guy is good. I want a little more of that. I want to see what else he can do. Maybe he can even do something for me. And then you've got the disciples and those who, who have been with Jesus and been following him are saying, this is God. And I want to learn and soak up as much as I can. He is my teacher and I'm going to follow him wherever, and I'm going to see what he is doing. You get to see the makeup of the crowd. And then comes Jairus, a ruler of the synagogue. Now, a little explanation of what that means. That means uh, a ruler of the synagogue was a layman who uh, was given some authority. He, he kind of oversaw the, the buildings and the grounds and the logistics uh, of the synagogue and the service. We see the ruler of the synagogue come up again in Acts 13 when Paul and his companions are there and they send a message to him and say, hey, do you have a word you would like to share? Okay, that was the rulers of the synagogue in control uh, over the logistics of the service. Okay, so this is, who, this is who this man is. This is a guy who's known around the synagogue. 
But before he is that man, he is a father. And his only daughter, simply 12 years old, so little of life lived, is lying literally on her deathbed. And in the true heart of a father, he sees Jesus as his last chance. And so he makes his way through the crowd. And this man who has some authority, who oversees people in a synagogue, has some authority, bows himself down at the feet of Jesus, saying, I don't care who sees. I know this guy is controversial, but I don't care who sees. I don't care what they say. I don't care about my position. My daughter is about to die. This is my last chance. And so he bows down and he pleads with him. He begs with him, please come to my house and heal my daughter. And the ray of hope becomes a little bit brighter because Jesus says, yes. They begin the journey. Now, some of you may find yourself to be a Jairus. Father, I've got a problem. I've got a sin in my life. And I don't care who knows. I don't care what it costs me. I don't care what other people say about me. I want it gone. And you are the only way to do that. If I need to come and bring other people around me, great. If they think something about me or laugh at me when I'm not there, I don't care. Come and do your work in me. Some of us find ourselves in the place of Jairus today. Seeking that healing. Pursuing it. Being desperate for it. Whatever it may cost. I want, I, want to, I want to take a moment now. As, as we keep going, we see, um, jump to the next one, uh, that the, the crowds almost crushed him. I, again, I want to paint this picture. I want us to see, and I think it will help us understand the next character that we talk about a little bit better here. We're going to come back to Jerry's. But, um, the crowds almost crushed him. If, if you read it in other versions, the ESV and a couple others, they say uh, the crowd was pressing in around him. I thought, man, that's an interesting phrase. So I looked up, what does that word really mean in the Greek? And, and, and the word actually means to choke. Suffocating. So this crowd was so intense, it was almost suffocating to be in the midst of it. In, in my mind, the, the thing I was thinking like that would kind of help me maybe relate to this is, is if anybody's been like to a football, professional football game or a concert or something and, you know, the, the, the final whistle blows or the last song is sung, the encore is done, everybody gets up to leave, right? I usually choose to wait like 30 minutes so that I don't have to fight that crowd. But if you find yourself in the midst of it, you're stuck. You can see the five, six, seven people around you, and you can be bumped along. You can't really control where you're going. You're just uh, at mercy of the crowd. And there you go. We begin to see the picture of this suffocating crowd that is around Jesus, wanting to know more. As a father, if I'm ever in that moment with my kids, I immediately grab them, right? Because if you get separated from them, other than flying elbows, there's not much you can do. That's the moment. That's the crowd. That's the place that we are. That's where Jesus is in the midst of. This suffocating crowd. Moving towards Jairus' house. I believe it helps us to begin to understand the woman. Because as we read, she, she's had this, uh, this illness, this issue of bleeding for the past 12 years. And other, vers- other versions as well, it says she spent her entire life, she spent all of her money on physicians and no one 
could heal her. She is desperate. She has tried everything. But you see, this, this issue of bleeding in the Jewish law would make her ceremonially unclean. So for 12 years, she has been known as unclean. For 12 years, she's been a bit of a social outcast because there are things that she cannot participate in because she is unclean. And so we begin to understand a little better why this woman wants to sneak up in the midst of a suffocating crowd and just touch the hem of his garment. No one will know. The rabbi won't even know. It will be my... I believe he can heal me. So if it is, it will be my little secret healing. I want to be the wiser. And this huge crowd is the way to do it. Everybody's touching Jesus right now. It's a suffocating crowd. They're, they're all around him. If I can just... And she reaches out and touches the hem of his garment. And I love the scripture. Immediately, she is healed. And just put yourself in her place. She reaches out in hopes and in faith, acting upon that, boom, she's healed. (gasps) I am no longer unclean. I've been set free. I'm going to go now. Right? She begins to head off into the crowd, but the loving Savior won't have it. The loving Savior won't. And he says, who touched me? She's afraid, right? She's like hiding amongst everybody. He's like, no, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. I didn't touch you. I don't know. It wasn't me. And and we understand the suffocating crowd, Peter's response. Master, seriously? Like 10 people just touched you in the last 30 seconds. Do you not see the crowd of people who are crowding around you? This crowd is suffocating. They are pressing in on you. They're crushing us. Who touched you? I don't understand. Jesus says, no. Someone touched me because I felt my power. I felt power go out. Now, this was not Jesus saying, shame on you or give me back my power, right? His power knows no bounds. He didn't need it back. There was a greater message. There was a greater testimony in the revealing of this healing than in allowing it to be a secret. And so the woman, with fear and trembling... (laughs) knowing that no one else is going to fess up to it. I am not, this guy is, he's stubborn. He's like, no, who is it? He's not moving. They might be here all night if I don't say anything. I don't know. So she being called out in this secret moment, trembling bows before him. And here's what I want you to see, the change of this woman. She's afraid, but in the midst of this suffocating crowd, She shares what's been going on. She gives testimony of, I was unclean. This issue of bleeding for the last 12 years, and I touched his garment, and I was healed immediately. In the next line, we see the purpose behind Jesus' pausing. He says, daughter, your faith has healed you. In other words, not the touch of my garment, but the fact that you came. Your faith has healed you. 
Now, who else is in earshot right there? We've got the woman. We've got the crowd who now is hearing about faith. We've got the disciples who Jesus has been teaching about faith all along. And we've got Jairus, right? Who needs to hear this. Your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Some of us find ourselves in the place of the woman. Find ourselves in the place saying, there is a sin so deep in my life that I, can, I, don't even, I don't even think God knows about it. I don't want God to know about it. Surprise, he does. Okay, But I don't want him to. And if anybody in the church knew about this sin in my life, they wouldn't even let me come through the door. I'm going to hold on to this, and I'm going to give just a little bit of it to God so that he can secretly possibly maybe heal me, and then I'm going to go on with my life, and no one will be the wiser of what God has done. And Jesus says, no. There is a far greater power in the testimony of what you've been delivered from than even in the healing that happened in secret. Some of us have been healed and need to share that, but have been afraid to. Some of us are still struggling and need to come and be open before the Father first. Trusting Him and seeking the counsel that is needed. Some of us find ourselves in the place of the woman. And as we look at this scene, we, we, we see the, the jubilation and the joy of this lady. She's been restored by the Father. She's been restored by Jesus. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And as, 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 as we see the smile upon her face, perhaps out of the corner of her eye, we see Jairus again. And there is nothing but a scowl on his face. And as we, with some liberties, venture into his mind, what is the mind of a father in this moment? Seriously, Jesus, you're stopping right now? We are on the way to my daughter, who is on her deathbed, who, who every step, I don't know, she could be gone at any moment, and you're stopping for this lady? Let's go! This is time she doesn't have, Jesus. Because you see, Jairus saw death as the end. And so the scowl on his face begins to grow as he's, let's go, come on. She, she was healed. Great. Let's go, come on. Jesus, my daughter, my daughter, my daughter. You see the anxiousness, the moment for this man. And as he turns, one of his servants is there and delivers to him the news that he had feared every step of the way. Your daughter has died. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Because you see, his household had that same mentality that Jesus is only big enough to heal them while they're still well or while they're still alive. Death, death is the, the finality of the battle. When they are dead, the victory is won in death and there's nothing you can do. You can heal someone who's sick. You can't heal dead. And that's their mentality. Don't bother him anymore. She's gone. There's nothing he can do. And so we see the heartbreak of a father as those words resonate in his ears and he believes that all hope is gone and the light, the flame, the minuscule bit that he had has just been ripped away from him. And then we hear the response of a loving Savior as he says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid.
Believe. And your daughter will be well. I want to pause here for just a moment as well. Because as we look at these two conversations that Jesus has, one with the woman and one with Jairus, the word for faith and the word for believe are the same root word. And here's, this is just something that the Lord spoke to me that, that, that I want to share with you. The, the context, the version of the, of the word here for the woman is, is the noun sense of faith. This is something that you've owned. This is something that you have. So your faith, this thing that you have, has, has healed you, has set you free. Okay. To believe is the verb tense. To put that faith into action. So do you see the picture that is painted here? She believed, she acted, and now this thing that you have, your faith has healed you. Jerry, you got the faith. It's time to put it into action. And how many of us do that same thing in our own lives? We have our believe that you can do this. I believe that you can heal me. I believe that you can bring restoration to this relationship. I believe that you can bring healing in this sickness. I believe that you can save me from my sin. But that's as far as we go. We hold on to our faith as this pretty little ball that we don't want anything to happen to. And it's a noun for us. It's a thing that we possess. In the midst of it, we should say, I'm going to put it into action. Father, I'm going to believe and I'm going to pursue and I'm going to seek and I'm going to continue to pray and I'm going to seek counsel amongst the community of saints. I'm going to go out and, and, and be prayed for. I'm going to put my faith into action. I'm going to believe living from this place of the verb of faith. Believe And so we travel on to the home. And they really thought she was dead because the mourners' tradition is that mourners would come and, and mourn with you and for you to, to, to make a right. You really are. And so the mourners are already there wailing and mourning for her. Jesus pushes them out and says, She's not sleeping. I mean, sorry, yes, she is. She's not dead. She's sleeping, bringing this. But what's their response? They laugh. They mock him. Of course she's dead. She's not breathing anymore. You can just hear them in their minds. Who is this guy? Death is the end. She is dead. She, that girl is not asleep. She's gone. And again, I believe that's where some of us approach and sit in our lives today. God, this problem is too big for you. Far gone. There's nothing you can do. Jesus, I have been praying for that person. Happened. It's too gone. They're, they're too far gone. They are dead in their sin. They ain't coming back. And we allow death to be final. We allow death to be the end and we give it a victory that it hasn't yet won. We give it a victory that was never its to begin with. 
I want to read, read for you Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 and just share it with you. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived of our flesh, ours of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's one of my favorite verses, favorite phrases in Scripture. But God. But God. So here's all the doom and gloom. This is where you were. But God. Being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Hallelujah and amen. God. See, they said death was final. We find ourselves in that place saying, God, it's too big for you, too far gone. But God, the cross of Christ than any sin. Jesus is enough. To set them free. While we were still dead in our trespasses, God brought us to life. While they are still dead in their sin, while they may be like those people uh, or the Gerasians around the, the man with the, the demon, while they may be turning their back for now. It is never too far gone. While they are here on this earth. But God. And then we see the next miracle. My child, get up. He takes her hand and it says, turns to her, gets up and Jesus says, Feed her. Take care for her. Oh, how I would have loved to have been a fly on a when they opened the door and the mourner saw the woman, the little girl, walk out. Her parents were already stunned. Can you imagine the faces of those people when she stepped the door? She was, now she's eating dinner. Talk about turning mourning into dancing. There it is. To see their faces. Now standing. If we find ourselves in that place, we believe it's too far gone, may we have the same reaction when it's not. Don't tell anyone what happened. What? As you read on that, you know, you hear uh, different people saying, doesn't want to be known as, as, as the guy who just raises people from the dead who can just do these things. Or, or he's about to sin, so he doesn't want to overshadow them. I, I think one of the things that as I read it, the Lord, I, just from a father's perspective again, don't worry about spreading the news about what happened. Here's your daughter. 
lover. Other uh, parallels of, the, of this story, it says that, that the story spread throughout the region. It's got to be known. Here's your daughter. Don't worry about telling anybody else. Go and love on her. So we find ourselves in these three places, possibly the place of Jairus, who, who, who once maybe at one time we had faith and said, God, you can do it. But, but something happened along the way and we gave up. And now we need to return to him and believe and keep going forward. Some of us may find ourselves in the place of the woman where we want to hide our sin or we're afraid of, of what the healing might be. And, and, and we need to say, Lord, you are enough. If you for me, who can be against me? And go forward with him. Some of us are in the place of the mourners. Those believing that they're too far gone and that death is final. Death is the end. But... There's two other pieces I want to just pull out of this uh, for us to, to think about today, and then we'll be done. So we read this narrative, and if you go back and look at the parallels, I, I particularly like uh, the, the parallel that we see in Matthew 9. We, we read about a few other events that happen along the way, but, but here's the, the big thing that always sticks out to me when I read narratives like this. Jesus' way, Right? He was headed to the house. There was a moment in the middle where ministry arose. And he stopped. He was attentive to the Father. And he ministered to the woman. There was a far... And so we and ourselves must be willing to be available to the moments. Available to the moments of ministry. As we are going somewhere and God causing us to minister in this moment to stop and do what he asks us to do for there is a greater testimony to be had. And that leads us into the next thing that, that, that it draws out for me is that we begin to trust God in his timing and in his sovereignty in these moments. That God, this is where you have me to go, but you've called me to stop right now and minister in this moment. That doesn't mean I'm going to be late for where you're taking me. It means I'm going to be right on time walking in your footsteps, in your will, to do what you've asked me to do. We must be open to the ministry in the moments, and trusting of God in His sovereignty. And that goes back to these Three banners here that, we, that we've put up that, that bring us back to who we are. Then in the midst of our community, whether it be amongst ourselves here in this church uh, or, or with those who God has brought into our life, there are good works, as we read in Ephesians 2, 10, that He has for us to do. And so in the midst of that community that we are gracious with one another in the ministry moments, if we have to wait, but we're also attentive with one another to minister. As we commune with the Father and grow in our relationship and become more attuned to His voice and we commune with one another in the fellowship that we might all serve the Great Commission, taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. That we are attentive to the moments. So where are you this morning? Is there a Jarius moment? Is there a Jerry's situation in your life? Is there a woman 
place? You're one of the mortars and the mockers. Do you find yourself in that place saying, God, I don't think you can really do it. I think it's too far gone. Or you're one of the disciples. Press in. I want to grow in you. I want to keep growing. I want to keep loving. I want to keep strengthening my relationship with you. I want to know you more. And you're listening and you're learning. Father, here's the beauty. Jesus meets them all right where they are. He ministers to their hearts. And He wants to meet you where you are and minister to you as well. Father, we come to you now. Find us where we are. Minister to our hearts. May we be vulnerable with you. May we be honest with you. May we trust you enough. But God. Two powerful words, a powerful phrase, Father. For you set us free. minister to our hearts. You love us unconditionally. The victory has already been won. And we get to partake in that, Jesus, when we know you as Savior. And we hold on to that. May we be not bashful with the testimony that you have given us. For there is a greater purpose than even our moments. May we hold on to them as well. To be reminded of your faithfulness and of your great power. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name.